Hi, I'm Ollie Neal, and welcome to Staying Connected, part of the Equip Project podcast. Staying Connected is a 12-week series focusing particularly on those having to self-isolate because of the coronavirus pandemic. We're aware that being stuck at home can be lonely, so we hope that each short episode will remind Christians of their unity as members of the body of Christ. In each episode, we'll have a Bible reading, a short thought, a prayer, and a final song. Today's reading is taken from the book of 1 Thessalonians. The first reading is from chapter 1, verses 6 to 10. Verse 6 says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you have become an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Acacia, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And then we're also going to read from chapter 4, starting at verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore encourage one another with these words. Thank you, Ollie, for reading God's Word to us. For a few moments, I would like to talk to you about two musical instruments, a bell and a trumpet. We find both of them in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. Like those early believers in Thessalonica, we now live in a pagan culture. So the big question is, how does the gospel get heard? Decades ago, there was a respect for the Christian message. People sent their children to Sunday school. They came to church regularly. But now we live in a culture that is indifferent to the gospel. So how does it get heard? To help us answer that question, Paul asks us to think deeply about the relationship between the gospel and the local church. Perhaps you noticed that connection when Ollie was reading those verses from chapter 1. Paul is talking here about the relationship between the gospel and the church. We find him arguing that the power of the gospel is seen in the transformed lives of church members. The success of the gospel depends on the church. It isn't enough to project a great gospel presentation on a screen outside the front door and hope that people will get saved. That's no way to get heard in this culture. So how does the gospel get heard? Well, let me remind you of verse 8. The Lord's message sounded forth or rang out from you. And the Greek word Paul uses here is found nowhere else in the New Testament. It's used in the Septuagint to describe bells and other loud brass instruments. So Paul is saying that the gospel reverberated through the hills and valleys of Greece, the way a church bell can be heard for miles in the countryside of England. Now, I know very little about church bells, 
but they have two main parts. There's a thing called the clapper, which is the hammer that strikes the main cast metal of the bell itself. So imagine that the gospel is like the clapper mechanism and the cast metal of the bell is the church. The way the gospel gets heard in a pagan culture is when people see the truth of the gospel played out in our lives. They see its truth instantiated in a community that trusts God, loves others, and has hope for the future. To use the language of verse 7, the church is called to model the gospel. The gospel message will be amplified as Christians across the country live their lives, live their lives in tune with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The tolling of the bell will get louder and louder. So non-Christians watching our lives will see a people who don't live for material things. They don't insist on their rights. They obviously trust God in their real lives. They show generosity and forgiving love to others. And so they hear the gospel reverberating through your character. Now, I've explained this principle so far in a rather individualistic way. Paul's point is that it takes a church, not just a collection of individuals, to form the resonating chamber for the gospel message. The reports that the Apostle received about the Thessalonians weren't about individuals. People were amazed and impressed by the life of a community, a community that together showed love and faith and hope in the face of trial. My father-in-law once spent time in Russia, and he told me about his visit to Red Square. He went there to look at the Kremlin, and close to the Kremlin wall stands a gigantic church bell. It's called the Tsar Bell, or the Royal Bell, and it is the largest church bell ever constructed. At some points, the bell is 24 inches thick. It stands 21 feet high. It has a diameter of over 20 feet. And this metal colossus has been set upon a stone pedestal. The bell weighs over 200,000 kilograms. But there is one very curious feature of the Tsar bell. It was completed on the 25th of November 1735. A further two years were spent putting elaborate ornamentation onto it. But in 1737, before the thing was even installed, a fire broke out at the Kremlin. And some of the guards panicked and threw water onto the bell. And so 11 cracks developed as a result. And one huge chunk of metal, uh, about 10,000 kilograms in weight, fell away completely. And so for a while, the Tsar bell was used as a small chapel with the missing piece used as the doorway. It never rang. It's been nothing more than a monument to this day. When a Christian community cracks, when it divides and unity is lost, then the gospel cannot sound out. The church reduces to a cultural monument. It may be impressively witty and ornamented, but it is of no use in God's work. Life in the present isn't as easy as it used to be. But if a Christian fellowship allows the truth of the gospel to impact on their own lives, then the gospel will be heard. As it resonates in our lives, our churches will amplify gospel truth so that its sound rolls out over the hills and valleys of our land. Now, there is a second musical instrument mentioned in this little letter. But before I introduce it, let me uh, set the scene by telling you a story uh, from the year 1896. In that year, two archaeologists were conducting a dig at an ancient rubbish tip uh, in Egypt. That's a rather curious way to make a living. Uh, The two men were called Bernard Grenfell and Arthur Hunt and they discovered a huge collection of manuscripts written on papyrus, dating from the first century AD. Some of the manuscripts were copies of famous works of literature by men like Euclid and Sophocles and Pindar. But the archaeologists also discovered a run-of-the-mill correspondence between ordinary people, 
written nearly 2,000 years ago. And one manuscript was a letter of condolence written by an Egyptian lady called Irene. Earlier in life, Irene had experienced the death of her son, a young man called Didymus. And now she is writing to a couple who have also lost a child. And this is what the letter says. I am in as much grief over the loss of your child as I was over Didymus' death. My family and I have done everything that was fitting. But nevertheless, against such things one can do nothing. Therefore, comfort one another. Farewell. Those are poignant words, aren't they? They come from an unknown woman, from an alien culture, from a distant time. And yet we all immediately empathise with an aspect of the human condition that affects us all. The loss of a loved one. You might wonder what Irene looked like and how she lived. But we all instinctively know how she felt when her own son died. Her words are dignified. But they're hopeless. Against such things one can do nothing. Therefore comfort one another. One of the most difficult conversations a parent can have with their child is prompted when a loved family member dies. So a four-year-old child watches with curious eyes as a coffin is lowered into an open grave. She clings to mummy's hand and afraid because her parents are crying. What has happened to Granda? she asks. Where has he gone? When will I see him again? I wonder if you have struggled to answer those questions. Maybe you just said, I don't know. Or perhaps, like Irene the Egyptian, you said with quiet dignity, Death comes to us all. Against such things one can do nothing. So let us comfort one another. In chapter one of the book, we encountered the gospel bell. When the hammer of a great church bell strikes, the cast bronze of the bell, the sound rings out for a long time. But surely even bells grow silent. Eventually the music will fade. One day, say the scientists, this place will become the silent planet. Well, this letter is bracketed by two musical instruments. We have thought of the gospel bell in chapter 1, and now we think of the final trumpet in the last chapters. You see, the Christian message is not simply an explanation of the past and the present. It frames our lives with the truth about the future. The sound of the final trumpet, well, it might fill unbelievers with fear, but Christians can look forward to it with gladness and delight. The book of Hebrews describes believers who have died and gone to heaven as a, a great cloud of witnesses. Their course has been run, but now they sit in the stands and cheer us on. So what happens to them at the return of Christ? Well, they come with him, as verse 14 of chapter 4 explains. And when the final trumpet sounds, when the loud command is given, the souls of those believers will be reunited with their bodies. Christianity has a very high view of the body. It doesn't describe our future in terms of disembodied spirits floating around in some dome of white radiance. But the bodies we will be given won't be like the ones we have now. We shall receive glorified bodies, bodies that allow us to live in both heaven and earth. Those bodies will have been designed to inhabit different modes of reality. So the old atheist questions about how the molecules of an ancient believer's body will be recovered aren't really all that relevant. Now we're going to be recognisable in the sense that our personal identity won't be lost but our bodies will be new and glorified. And verse 17 explains that that same process, the transmuting of our old earthly bodies into new glorified ones, will occur for those believers who are still alive when Christ returns. Let's just think about that from a pastoral point of view. Maybe an elderly believer is listening to me now, and your body is starting to break down. Maybe arthritis has taken hold of your joints, 
where Alzheimer's disease has started to eat away at your memories. Maybe there are just too many miles on the clock. Or maybe I'm talking to a young adult who is plagued by mental illness. You can't escape the dark cave of depression, that creeping black cloud of sadness about yourself and your future. Well, one day you will have a new glorified body. It will be free from pains and aches. You will run on supple feet the way you used to run when you were eight years old. Your mind will be clear as crystal. Your mental life will be translucent, bubbling over with a sense of joy and anticipation at all the opportunities that stretch out before you. Not that long ago I wrote an email to a friend who is enduring terrible suffering, and I said this to him. We don't have any idea of the extent to which God will transform the bleak, grim stories told down here and transform them into things bursting with opportunity and reward and compensation for hurt. At this moment, I said, your story sounds like the plot of a Russian novel, but the God we know will one day take the grey, desolate things of this world and transmute them into the red and gold of a rich and wonderful life to come. We don't quite know how, but we know him, and that perhaps is enough. So for those who remain on this earth, there is hope. Irene the Egyptian said of death, Against such things one can do nothing, so comfort one another. But the Apostle Paul comforts us with the hope that one day the trumpet will sound, and against it, death can do nothing. The Apostle John lived to be an old, old man. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. All his family lived in Ephesus, which lies about 14 miles away from the island. On a clear day, the old man would have been able to discern the coastline of the place where his loved ones lived. But he was separated from them by the sea. In the book of the Revelation, which he wrote on that island, John is describing the glories of the life to come. And he makes a curious little note. He says, there will be no more sea. No more separation. Death has hidden some of our loved ones from us. But there will come a day when we shall together be with them. There will be so many reunions on that day. Perhaps the greatest reunion will be be between you and the Saviour himself. And so we shall be with the Lord forever, Paul says. I don't quite know how it will happen, because we're talking about modes of reality that are beyond our imagination. But we do know the Lord, so we know that it will be an intimate and private meeting, perhaps a bit like the walk that the Lord God and Adam used to take in Eden each evening. Some of the most difficult and terrible experiences in your life will be explained. Tears will be wiped away, and healing for past hurt provided. And afterwards, there will be no more tears. Therefore, says the Apostle, comfort one another with these words. So our study is over. We have thought about the present and the future, the gospel bell and the final trumpet. In the here and now, the relationship between the local church and the gospel is illustrated by a church bell. Just as the atoms in the broad casting of a bell resonate together, so a community of God's people can send the sound of the gospel rolling across the hills and valleys of this country by their faith and love and hope in God. The pagans in this culture will only hear the gospel when it impacts upon you. But we don't just think about how to live before we die. How hopeless a thing that would be. We look forward with anticipation to hearing the sound of the final trumpet. For then, our real lives will begin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want your gospel to reverberate for miles around through us, your church. We long for the gospel to be revealed powerfully in our lives. We long to model the gospel, living in tune with the Lord Jesus Christ each 
and every day, revealing his beauty through our behaviour. Lord, may we be a united body, not divided by petty disputes or personality differences. We want your gospel, Lord, to sound out, to reverberate across this land. Thank you, Lord, that in the midst of this crisis, we have a rock-solid hope, a hope that will never be shaken. Lord, that final trumpet, the sound that will fill us with gladness and delight, when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, when we meet him face-to-face in a given new glorified bodies, what a hope it is. We thank you, Lord, that because of this hope, death has no power over us. And one day, Lord, we thank you. There'll be no more separation, no more tears. Lord, we long for that day. Please help us in the meantime to sound out your truth to a world in need. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.